KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Asylum seekers marched to the U.S. port of entry in Tijuana on Wednesday. They demanded the U.S. restore asylum proceedings for migrants who have been waiting in Mexico for months. The U.S. asylum system has ground to a near halt during the pandemic, and the U.S. now immediately deports anyone who crosses the border illegally. Dulce Garcia, the executive director of Border Angels, says this has led to a panic among asylum seekers south of the border. There's a, a lot of uncertainty fear for us, our asylum-seeking siblings in Tijuana because their dates are having to be postponed. There's a lack of information, a lack of resources. Garcia says next month's presidential election will prove pivotal in the lives of these asylum seekers as Democrats seek to roll back many of the Trump administration's border policies. California regulators are putting some teeth behind air pollution regulations adopted last summer. They're linked to shipping and freight industries. The California Air Resources Board wants state officials to monitor truck traffic in neighborhoods and measure emissions in a number of locations. Supervisor Nathan Fletcher is a board member. He says San Diego's communities of color will benefit. Think about that parent in Barrio Logan, uh, whose child is eight times more likely to have asthma. Uh, because of the zip code in which they were born. San Diego already monitors truck traffic in Barrio Logan and National City. Port of San Diego officials are working to direct truck traffic away from homes, and they're replacing diesel-powered cargo vehicles with electric ones. It's Thursday, October 22nd. This is San Diego News Matters from KPBS News. I'm Annika Colbert. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Measure E on the San Diego ballot this election would exempt the Midway District from the city's 30-foot coastal height limit. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says it could lead to big changes in the blighted neighborhood. Midway isn't the prettiest part of San Diego. The neighborhood is known for big box stores, industrial lots, and strip clubs. Midway resident D.K. Anyuo says the 30-foot height limit has stood in the way of efforts to revitalize the area. The height limit was approved by voters in 1972 and applies to neighborhoods west of I-5. Midway isn't a coastal neighborhood, Anyuo says, and allowing taller buildings would give property owners an incentive to redevelop. And it enables us to actually look to include you know, parks, green space, open land, come up with, you know, buildings and dwelling units that are creative and, and, and have some sort of, uh, you know, real impact that's positive for this community. John McNabb is a longtime San Diego activist who opposes Measure E. He says it's a giveaway to developers, and rather than raising the height limit, the city should create a giant park in the Midway District. All we have to do is understand that public land belongs to the people. 
Most of the public land in Midway is owned by the military, which has no plans to donate it to the city for a park. The yes side of Measure E has a lopsided advantage in endorsements, with support from both the Republican and Democratic parties. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. Leaders of California's biggest theme parks, including Disneyland Resort, Universal Studios, Knott's Berry Farm, and Legoland in Carlsbad, are pushing back against new state reopening guidelines. They say the guidelines will keep amusement parks closed unnecessarily. We've seen all other se- uh, seven other Legoland parks around the world reopen safely with, with millions of guests and around 20,000 employees. Kurt Stocks is the president of Legoland. He says during a normal peak season, they'd have as many as 3,000 workers, but at one point we're down to less than a couple hundred. And I think it shouldn't go without mentioning the impact on, on, that in, on, on, on our area and on the community in which we're an enormous part of. We're the biggest employer here in Carlsbad and a further extension of closure is, is, is just not acceptable. Under the new rules, large theme parks can only open in counties that have reached the state's least restrictive reopening tier of yellow. The San Diego County has been hovering near the state's most restrictive tier. A spokeswoman for the California Attractions and Parks Association says negotiations to reopen parks will continue. And in terms of possible legal action, all options are on the table. Pope Francis says LGBTQ people should have the right to civil unions. The Pope's words are being met with mixed reaction here in San Diego, as KPBS's John Carroll reports. In the new documentary Francesco, Pope Francis's comments on same-sex civil unions are hitting like a theological bombshell across the Roman Catholic Church. In the documentary, Francis said, Homosexuals have a right to be a part of the family. What we have to create is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered. Outside St. Joseph's Cathedral afternoon mass today, reaction was mixed, but one parishioner was clear. James Palin says Francis's words go against church teaching. The church's teaching on um, uh, homosexuality being something that, that is uh, counter to the plan that God created us for. The Roman Catholic Diocese of San Diego put out a statement saying in part, there are no plans and there have been no proposals to extend the sacrament of matrimony to same-sex couples. John Carroll, KPBS News. Craft breweries were forced to close their tasting rooms when the coronavirus pandemic hit in mid-March. According to the San Diego Business Journal, large breweries like Alesmith pivoted. They're focusing more on selling their beers in cans and bottles at stores. But for smaller brewers, the pandemic has created a scramble for a way to bottle or can their product. Here to talk about the craft brew conundrum is Matt Johnson. He's a man of many hats. He's a lecturer for SDSU's craft brew program. He's a consultant for breweries, and he's helped several San Diego brew houses open, and he's the general manager of West Brew's two locations that both opened this month. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. All right, so let's uh, get started with breweries just trying to get their product into a can or a bottle. If a brewery wasn't canning or bottling before, what kind of options do they have? Um, California allows us the opportunity for small breweries such as ourselves to self-distribute, which is something you don't see in a lot of states. And that's great when we do the on-premise, our bars and restaurants. We can be pretty successful self-distributing in that arena. But when we get to off-premise, it's a lot more difficult to get that shelf space in a Vons 
or an Albertsons or a BevMo without um, having those big distrib- distribution contracts or without having that shelf space already put in place before the pandemic. So yeah, what we're seeing right now is obviously the tasting rooms are down as far as our business, our on-premise is way down and the off-premise in general of beer is up, but smaller guys like you know startup breweries, even West Brew starting out, are really gonna struggle to get in that shelf space. For breweries who weren't already canning and bottling, what are the challenges they're facing to start canning and bottling, like in their own brew house? For the people that are lucky enough to already have a canning line in-house, you know, they're not going to skip a beat. And that's just going back to the people that are already on um, shelf space anyway. Uh, For someone that just opened us like us, we can kind of we kind of were able to watch this market switch from 22 ounce bottles, which were really popular maybe five, six, seven years ago into where those are almost non-existent and saw canning. So if you were a newer brewery and able to adjust real fast, you went away from the bottle bottling lines and into the canning. So here at West Brew, we have our um, our own forehead canning lines. So we can do all our canning in-house. Something that's really popular with a lot of the smaller breweries is what's called mobile canning. So basically um, it's a company that goes around to a bunch of different breweries. He has a canning line in his truck and he can pull up to your brewery, offload that canning line, and he can um, can on demand for you at your brewery. And it, it could be minimal stuff. You can do two to three cases through him. Obviously, there's price breaks as you go higher, but he's definitely busy right now. So it's it could be you know weeks, maybe a month lead time to get that happen. But yeah, simply put, summarize: it's either get the mobile canning guy to come out or purchase one of those fifty thousand um, dollar canning machines in house. I see. Do you think all of these changes um, that have taken place because of the pandemic, do you think that this signals any sort of permanent change for the craft brew industry? Uh, in my opinion, I, I hope that's not the case. Uh, you know, we were putting a lot of our chips into the restaurants coming back in the summer um, and going back full steam full um, steam ahead as far as the on-premise. November to February 20, 2021 is going to be a really, really tough and trying times for breweries. Independent, you know, it's it's too hard to predict what anything's going to happen right now um, to go in the future. I hope that you know, in the spring and summer, um, us as manufacturers, we rely on our retailers, and that's our restaurants and bars. So, without those full force, you know, the grocery stores, unless they're adjusting and and turning, you know, frozen sections into more beer sections, I, I find it hard for this to continue without losing a lot of breweries. So, you know, to me, it's Hey, let's hope the on-premise gets back to full bore spring and summer. And, you know, we can, those small guys can be a little more successful again. And the tasting rooms as well. A lot of these breweries, there's over 200 breweries in San Diego. A lot of these breweries, really their business models just to set up and be that community brewery. They're doing no distribution at all. So for them, it's, it's to go out of the tasting room and it's, you know, bringing people back in the tasting room. Otherwise, yeah, we're going to see a little bit of thinning. I know you've helped a lot of breweries open across San Diego. Um, When it came to West Brew, how did you factor the pandemic into your approach and all of your planning? Well, these breweries take a long time to manifest. So, um, for example, West Brew, I met Josh, who's the owner, uh, through the SDSU Business of Craft Beer Program. So I'm an uh, instructor over there and, and on the board. And this thing is probably, for him, it's been in concept for about 15 to 16 months. So um, to get the equipment that's needed, remember we're a manufacturing processing plant basically. So we're getting all the stainless steel from China and then it's coming to the US to the, the factory to be installed and welded. And then you know by the time that gets here and then in our industry, you have to sign your lease before you even get your ABC license from the state. 
So you can be months, a year, 18 months in planning, which is kind of what happened with Westbrook. So this was something that was in concept last summer. And then fast forward to March, the equipment's already ordered. The equipment's already come from China. It's almost it's almost here. The, the lease is already signed just to get the license. So at that point, there's there no turning back. You're stuck in the lease. The equipment's already ordered. You're you know, $250,000, $300,000 in on that. So it's moved forward and adapt at that point. So Westboro, it opened with two locations and you're working on a downtown location as well. How are you feeling about all this and opening during the pandemic? How are you feeling? Yeah, we, we feel good. Um, we've had enough time where we can observe. So I think if we opened right away in this hit, we would be struggling a little more than we we are. So literally, we just opened our Vista location two to three weeks ago and we just opened our Del Mar location last week. So we were able to see what's going on. Everything kind of right now, as far as the tasting room, has moved to outside dining and to-go. So, I mean, to-go is definitely up. And if you have the ability to do outside. So Del Mar is great because we have this huge patio and it's an outside kiosk um, for counter service. So there's a kiosk literally right there on the corner on the sidewalk. And we can counter serve and, and keep people socially distanced. We did uh, up our can orders as far as our canning distribution and kind of set all that up. So it, we were very lucky in the sense that we were able to observe from March up until this point. But no doubt it's been, um, it's just waiting. What's what is next month going to look like? What is next month going to look like? And you mentioned our downtown location is actually going to be right by Peco Park for the Padres. So we are putting a lot of chips into the basket saying that, hey, hopefully by next Padre season or next summer, you know, the conventions come back to the convention center. The Padres come back to Peco Park. And we kind of have a lot of chips in that and kind of just hoping at this point. This week, we almost came kind of close to being moved into the state's purple tier, and um, we didn't. We're still in the red tier for the next two weeks. If we moved into the purple tier, um, what would be your concerns? The biggest concern for us would be our bar and restaurant distribution. So um, taking a step back from that, our tasting rooms, we've been able to adjust with the outside seating, um, especially in Del Mar. I think we only have one table inside to meet that 20 or 25% capacity and no one's really using it. It's all outside seating anyway. So we're very fortunate in Del Mar up here in Vista, um, the city and state, um, especially the ABC has been very understanding as far as temporary permitting and temporary seating outside into the parking lots. Like you see a lot of the restaurants do. So um, I wouldn't be as concerned for the tasting rooms here. I would be super concerned once, you know, our customers and distribution, all those bars, all those restaurants that we rely on to get our product out um, and support local beer. If those are to shutter again, it could do a lot of damage to the craft beer industry. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Sure. I've been speaking with Matt Johnson, a lecturer for SDSU's craft brew program, a consultant and general manager of West Brew. Coming up on the podcast, Marine Boot Camp might get moved out of San Diego. And a recent polling shows that folks in the military are changing their political views. An update on how our service members are voting, that's up next, just after this break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures 
a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. The Marines might move their boot camp out of San Diego. It's one of the options that came up as the Marines commissioned a study to look at all of their options for integrating men and women recruits, including a new centralized boot camp. Congressman Scott Peters, whose district covers MCRD San Diego, says he wants the West Coast boot camp to remain where it is. There would be an investment connected with that, but not nearly the investment, I think, um, that would be entailed uh, if you had to build an entirely new facility, acquiring land and building all new buildings. So I don't think cost is a, is a reason to um, talk about moving training out of San Diego where it's happened for nearly 100 years. The study was commissioned this week to the University of Pittsburgh. They'll release their findings next year. A lot of people are voting by mail for the first time, but military personnel stationed overseas have been doing so since the Civil War. This year, as troops fill out their ballots, some polls suggest their political preferences may be changing. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh reports for the American Homefront Project. In a year when millions of people are expected to vote by mail, overseas troops were among the first to receive their ballots. Federal law requires that they go out at least 45 days before the election. San Diego County Register of Voters Michael Vu has been getting ready for weeks. So this is our tabulation room right here. All the mail ballots will be processed and scanned in there. San Diego County is one of 11 counties in the U.S. that have over 10,000 military and overseas absentee voters. Vu says there has never been a hint of widespread fraud, though not every ballot comes back in time to be counted. Federal law does make it a bit easier for these voters to vote absentee. For instance, overseas military voters are the only California voters who can return their ballots by fax. In many cases, we don't know what the status of that military and overseas voter is. Uh, could they be potentially on a ship that doesn't necessarily have a good transmission when it comes down to fax? Even with the extra measures over the last two presidential elections, military personnel actually voted at a lower percentage than other absentee voters, both in San Diego County and nationally. And this election, polls show this block of voters is more in play than in previous elections. A Military Times poll in August showed Joe Biden with the lead with President Trump's approval ratings well below what it had been at the start of his term. Ed Yokley is a senior reporter with Morning Consult, which has been tracking military and veteran households. And military families are not unlike the rest of the electorate. I mean, we're seeing um, Joe Biden do better with older folks and with white folks and with men um, across the board. This group has typically been a reliable part of the Republican base, and in some ways it still is. Morning Consult polled veterans and active duty households after a bombshell article in The Atlantic reported the president had called people who serve losers and suckers. Morning Consult found support for the president holding steady. He was still leading among military and veteran households. I think we've seen with um, white voters and with men who are sort of the Trump base, um, not a whole lot has moved their views um, across the board over the last four years. One thing that did hurt the president in the polls was his talk of sending the military to quell civil unrest or to monitor the elections. Back from Walter Reed Medical Center after being diagnosed with COVID-19, Trump tweeted a video message to military voters. We got everybody pay increases, three of them. There's never seen anything like what I've done for the military. 
For most candidates, it's hard to target military voters directly. Regulations make it difficult to hold events on base. Democrat Doug Applegate, a retired Marine, ran for Congress in 2016 and 2018. The district includes the sprawling Camp Pendleton in Southern California, where more than 36,000 people live on base. I wouldn't go on base. I was asked that on occasion, and I thought that um, that, that regulation was well-founded because I don't think that the, that the military needs to be sucked into to politics. They may not even vote where they're based, making it even harder to target them, says Applegate, who didn't win a seat in Congress in two tries. He said these voters tend to be conservative, but not always. And though they may be insulated from the job market. I think they look at the economy just like everybody else. Is it good? Because active duty military still buy homes. They still live in the community where they're stationed at. Applegate says national security is also important to military voters. They tend to size up who will do the best job of being their commander in chief. That was KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And before you go, KPBS is still hoping to hear from you about your Halloween plans. If you have a moment, please call 619-452-0228 and leave a voice memo with your name, your neighborhood, and whatever your plans might be for Halloween. Again, the number is 619-452-0228. We're looking for your pandemic Halloween plans. That's it for the podcast today. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.